0: you would take your Bibles and turn to Proverbs chapter 6. If you received one of the bulletins as you were coming in, on the back of that bulletin are some notes that you can use to follow along with our time this morning. If you don't have a Bible in front of you, but you have access to the Bible on your phone, feel free to bring that out as well. We'll have most of these verses up on the screen, but we want, to, want you to have it in front of you as well. We've talked a lot this morning about holiday season that's coming up, if you need a big picture look at what's going on at Emmaus around the holiday time, if you go to our website, emmausokc.org, you can find a holiday schedule on there that might be of help to to you and your family as you're thinking about what's going on, what what we're going to be involved in. Two Sundays from now, December the 4th, we're having our 30th year uh, anniversary celebration service as a church. So it'll be a fun time. Jim was talking about the meal that's going to happen that day immediately after the service. We're just going to have a service where we celebrate God's faithfulness in in this place, to this local church for 30 years, and then think about where is God leading us in in the days ahead. So that's happening on on the 4th, and then as you think about inviting family members or friends to Christmas services, remember this year we're doing identical services services Christmas Eve and Christmas morning so Christmas Eve at four o'clock Christmas morning at 10 30 pick the service that works best for you your family members your neighbors those folks that are coming with you that day we're just gonna we hope that with Christmas day following a Sunday this will be the best way to serve our families and for you to be able to invite people to to come with you So we continue through the book of Proverbs. This has been a lot of fun. I've enjoyed uh, the study. I've enjoyed trying to think about what does it look like for God's word to speak into our lives. Uh, And so we're gonna keep moving this morning. Proverbs chapter six. We're gonna read verses one through 11 to get started this morning. My son, if you have put up security for your neighbor, have given your pledge for a stranger, if you are snared in the words of your mouth, Caught in the words of your mouth. Then do this, my son, and save yourself, for you have come into the hand of your neighbor. Go, hasten, and plead urgently with your neighbor. Give your eyes no sleep, and your eyelids no slumber. Save yourself like a gazelle from the hand of, of the hunter, like a bird from the hand of the fowler. Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise, without having any chief. Officer or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber, and want like an armed man. Father, we thank you again. As we've said multiple times this morning, we thank you for the gift of worship. Let us never forget what it means that we gather together corporately. Not that this is the full existence of our Christian life, not that we're trying to fulfill a religious duty so we can just go on with our life. These are reminders, these are times that force us to slow down. We have a lot on our plate, life moves fast, there's a lot on our mind. God, remind us through music, remind us through prayer, remind us through your word, remind us through something that doesn't look like the rest of our lives, remind us how you want to work in and through us each day. And Father, I pray this morning that grace and truth would be at work through your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So we love, we love music as introductions to sermons. This morning we're going with the seven dwarfs. Hi-ho, hi-ho, it's off to work I go. So we were gonna do this, but... Have you ever looked at the lyrics before to the psalm? So we dig, 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 dig in our mind the whole day through. To dig, 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 dig is what we really like to do. It ain't no trick to get rich quick if you dig, dig, dig with a shovel or a pick. And then it goes on after that, after they say, in a mine, in a mine, they do that part. A thousand rubies, sometimes more, but we don't know what we dig them for. Now that... Feels, feels like work, doesn't it doesn't <laughs> Like I'm digging rubies and I want to get rich quick, but I have no idea what, what I'm trying to do. This morning, we transitioned the book of Proverbs to thinking about the theme of work. How does God's word, how does the idea of wisdom speak into our lives as, as we think about work? This topic, uh, if you think, you know what, I'm retired or I'm just at a place in life where I'm not thinking about work right now or this is not really a topic for me, There are bigger pictures, there's bigger things going on this morning. There's the topic of diligence. There's the topic of commitment. And don't think about work just to swear you're employed. Think about it in the bigger scheme of what I give my time to, what I give my energy to, what I give even my money to, where am I giving myself? That's kind of what this topic is, is related to. These verses here at the beginning of Proverbs 6, if you have a copy of the Bible in front of you that that you're looking at or you're looking on your phone, you'll notice that chapter five is this warning against adultery. It's it's a passage, all a chapter we looked at last week about sexual faithfulness. Then if you skip to the end of chapter six, you see that again, the author picks up the topic of adultery, of sexual faithfulness. So all of chapter five, and then the end of chapter six is this topic of sexual faithfulness, of avoiding adultery because of the way that it will destroy our lives. And then in the middle there, there's chapter six, verses one through 19. Some commentators, some researchers, will say that these verses are out of place, that they're, they're kind of an intrusion into this topic that was added later because if you read from the end of chapter 5 and then you skip down to chapter 6 verse 20 it just reads straight through about adultery but i don't think that's what's going on at all i think what we're going to find this morning is these topics specifically this topic of work this morning is related to this topic of a sexual adultery at the end of five and the end of six and on your notes i put what i think is the connecting point The connecting point is that we don't want to get entangled in someone else's situation, in someone else's, we're going to talk about financial debt, but we don't want to get entangled where we're not supposed to get entangled. In other words, stay at home, be diligent in what you've been called to be diligent to, and don't find yourself running in in different areas. If you're here this morning and you're not able to work because of injury, because of unemployment, there's a burden that can be carried. I want you to hear me through all the way to the end because I don't want you to walk away feeling burdened down by guilt. I want you to hear what God's word is saying. Students, I know that sometimes older folks will look into our generation and our work ethic doesn't always look the greatest. Uh, and, And there's sometimes a misunderstanding about how the world does change, but we need to hear those thoughts. What does it look like to have a work ethic? What does it look like to put our faith into action? How do we do this in accordance with God's word? So here we go. Proverbs chapter six, starting in verse one, it says, my son, if you have put up security for your neighbor, have given your pledge for a stranger, if you are snared in the words of your mouth, caught in the words of your mouth. Okay, so what's the situation that's being set up here in verses one and two? This idea of putting up security becoming surety, uh, guaranteeing a loan. Essentially the topic is about providing financial backing for someone else who is in debt. It's getting entangled by putting up security, by putting up money for someone else's debt. So it's not talking about giving a gift. It's not even talk about lending money. It's specifically about securing someone else's debt, securing someone else's money. Who's involved in this? Well, obviously the son is involved because the son shows up all the time throughout Proverbs. It's it's these lessons given to this young man about how to live life. But notice, two other people are involved here. The neighbor at the beginning of verse one and the stranger at the end of verse one. So there's the son who's given this advice and then there's the neighbor and the stranger. The stranger, you can connect back to chapter five. We learned in chapter five about the strange woman. Now we've got to the point of learning about the strange man in chapter six. Uh, if your neighbor is also the strange man, then you're in a whole nother world. But uh, I don't think these are the same people. You have the neighbor and then you have the stranger. This idea of two different people that you could be caught up in this financial, financial situation with, don't miss the fact that the neighbor and the stranger here are presented as male uh, figures. Don't for a second think that Proverbs presents the idea that only females entice someone to, to sin. Chapter five, this adulterous, strange woman came off looking like all ladies are bad and all ladies are trying to entice. Equally so, chapter 6 puts the men up there as the ones who are enticing someone to sin. So if you ever read the Bible, you read the book of Proverbs and think, man, it's so anti-woman, it's so misogynistic, just keep reading a little bit longer and the guys will come off really bad <laughs> as well. And so you, you'll find that chapter 6 is a real balance point between, between men and women and what's, what's going on there. What's the procedure that got this person Into the situation. It's probably a situation in which the son has gone to a neighbor or to a stranger and with a promised word and a handshake has said, I'll back up your loan. I'll guarantee your loan. The reason we think it's done with a verbal promise and a handshake is because you see there in verse one or verse two it says, If you are snared in the words of your mouth, caught in the words of your mouth. It's harder to see where the handshake comes into play, but where the handshake comes into play is there in verse one where it says, if you have given your pledge, you can connect the word for hand or striking hands as the same phrase as giving a pledge. So you've shaken someone's hand, you've given your promise, and you've said, I'll back up your loan. I'll get involved in your financial situation. Verse three. Verse three says, do this, my son, and save yourself for you have come into the hand of your neighbor go hasten and plead urgently with your neighbor so what do you do if you've secured someone else's loan if you've gotten entangled in their financial responsibility you get yourself out of it it's very clear it says do this and save yourself probably not meaning literally save your life though if you got entangled with the mob uh, you might be saving your life uh, at this point it might be too late Save yourself here probably means save your livelihood, Uh, save, save your legacy. Remember that so much about what Proverbs deals with is being able to pass on a legacy one generation to the next. If you secure someone else's debt, and that goes badly, and you lose your money, in this culture, you have nothing left to pass on to the next generation. So one of the reasons the the teacher is dealing with, the father figure is dealing with this, is because it has to do with having something to pass on to the next generation. So saving yourself is not just saving your life, it's saving your livelihood so that your family is taken care of, so that your legacy, that your generations are taken care of. How do you do this? Well, first, if you come into the hand of your neighbor, Go. So, you take initiative. Go and deal with this. Number two, hasten. And that word hasten not only means to do it quickly, but to do it in a humble way. Uh, It's connected to the idea of humility. You've gotten yourself in a bad situation, so you take initiative. You go and humble yourself before the other person, which in this situation is very ironic because they were the one who was in debt They're the ones who should be humbled, but you got entangled in their situation, so you go and humble yourself before them and plead urgently with your neighbor. Your words got you into the situation, so go and use your words to get yourself out of the situation. Plead urgently that you can get out of the situation. Then it goes on to verse verse four, and it gives you kind of a mental picture of what's being said here. Verse four, give your eyes no sleep And your eyelids, no slumber. The imagery here is that you went into the situation with your eyes closed. You weren't wise. You weren't seeing all the facts. Your eyes were closed and you got yourself into the situation. Now's no time to fall asleep. (laughs) This is no time to sleep on a bad situation. Don't delay, get yourself out of it. Verse five save yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter, like a bird from the hand of the fowler. In other words, even an animal knows when they're trapped, it's better to get out of the situation than just to stay in the trap. I'm in this bad situation, what do I do? Get yourself out of it because the gazelle and the bird know to do this. Now this idea that we're seeing here of not securing someone else's loan, this is consistent with what you find through the rest of scripture, especially the rest of Proverbs. Proverbs Proverbs chapter 11, Verse 15, "...whoever puts up security for a stranger will surely suffer harm, but he who hates striking hands and pledge is secure." Proverbs chapter 17, 17 and 18, "...a friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. One who lacks sense gives a pledge and puts up security in the presence of his neighbor." In other words, there's one thing to love as a brother and as a friend. There's another to get entangled in a person's situation. So what's the author addressing in in these verses? Well, why would you put up security for a stranger? Why would you secure their loan? Very simply, this has the feel of a get-rich-quick scheme. You put up security for this person's loan so that when it comes through, you're going to get a pretty serious kickback. It's taking advantage of someone else's situation, getting yourself entangled in that situation with the hopes that you're going to get something out of it. So the lesson here is avoid get-rich-quick schemes. Avoid getting caught up in someone else's situation that has the chance not only to hurt them, but to hurt you as well. Why would you put up security for a neighbor? In other words, somebody you know, somebody you're connected with, why would you get financially involved in their situation? Probably to bail them out honestly, is what's going on in this situation. It's probably one of these sayings, well, I'm a friend, I'm a brother, so I'm going to secure their loan in order to hold them up and bail them out of the situation. Now, there's a connection here that I want us to see between the temptation last week to sexual unfaithfulness, to adultery, and what's going on here. In both cases, financial temptation or sexual temptation, you're getting involved away from home. You're getting involved away from your main commitments. You're tying your life up with something that you weren't called to be responsible for. And so the proverb is don't do that. Avoid the temptation to get entangled in something that you shouldn't have been entangled in to begin with. Equally so, both adultery and making security for somebody else's loan, in both cases, it lacks foresight. It's short-term gain, but long-term problems. You got involved in this situation thinking, I can rescue this person, I can get rich off this situation, and what you find is long-term, it almost never works out. It always brings destruction. In the case of the stranger, you lose your money. In the case of the neighbor, you lose the relationship. Because ultimately the situation is going to catch up with you. There, there's a very clear application on the surface of these verses. Don't get entangled in something you're not supposed to be entangled in. Don't and if you are, get out of it as quickly as you can. There's an application that comes a little bit below the surface, and it's going to connect with something we're going to talk about at the end of the sermon. And it's very simply, and, and this is where the preacher preaches at himself. It's very simply, it's not our job to be someone else's savior. Um, there is a savior who is able to forgive sin. There is a savior who is able to pay all of our debts. There is a savior who is able to rescue us out of all situations, and that's not me. I'm not that person. Now, hear me out. I'm not saying that you disconnect from other people. I'm not saying that you don't love strangers or give holiday gifts or provide when people are in need. I'm not saying that you don't come alongside your neighbor and develop loving, healthy relationships where you care for one another, you serve one another, you're in this together. What's being guarded against here is the idea that it's my job to get entangled in someone else's situation for the purpose of doing for them what they should be doing for them. I'm coming alongside and saying I can rescue that person. I can take care of that situation. I can, and we understand, the way counseling works, the way psychology works, that when you start to think like that, you can get into some very unhealthy relationships. You can get into some relationships that are very emotionally unstable because you start to develop codependency in situations like that. You start to have a a deformed understanding of healthy adult relationships, how we communicate, how we care for one another. This passage is just a very clear picture of saying we all need a savior and it's not our job to be the savior for someone else's life. So once again, hear me on the back side of that. I'm not saying we don't get involved with other people, we don't care for them, we don't love them, we don't do things for them, but if you're talking about getting entangled in their financial situation or securing their debt, this proverb says get out of that. Be be very, very careful about what you're getting into. Okay, how does this lead into verse six? Well, verse six is the positive to the negative that started out, so in verse six it says go to the ant. O sluggard, consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. So the bird, the gazelle, they were the get away, flee, uh, negative imagery. The ant is the proactive, do this. Notice very quickly what we find out here. about about the ant. The opposite of the ant is the sluggard. The sluggard in the Holman Christian standard Bible is the slacker. I kind of like that translation better. but uh, the sluggard or the slacker. If kids, if you're reading now the New Living translation, it'll call this person lazybones. <laughs> so it's sluggard, slacker, lazy bones. Some translations will use slothful, and, and I can't hear the term slothful without thinking of Zootopia and those awesome sloths that are, are there at the DMV, you know, like flash, flash, 100-yard dash uh, at the end of, end of Zootopia. That's got to be one of the greatest characterizations in the history of, a, of, of movies. But uh, the idea that you just move so slowly, that you're lazy, that you don't do anything. So you have the ant on one hand, and you have the sloth on the other hand, and it's saying, be like the ant. Here's something fun about the book of Proverbs, and this is true of wisdom literature across the board, but but in the book of Proverbs, it will tell us often to learn from animals. And if you're an animal lover, if you're a pet lover, it's amazing what you can learn just by paying attention to to animals. It's amazing what you can learn by paying attention to creation. And Proverbs tells that story over and over again. Learn from animals, learn from creation. Side note here, but something that would be a resource to parents and grandparents uh, in, in the audience. Emmaus, we have a, a subscription with a group called Right Now Media, uh, and, and Right Now Media, if you get an account, you can go to our website and you can get signed up for an account with Right Now Media. Right Now Media has some different uh, kids shows. They have a lot of adult, great adult Bible studies and material in there, but they have a lot of good kids shows too. One of those shows is called Allegories, but it's spelled O-W-L-E-G-O-R-I-E-S, Allegories. Uh, Teachers like Jen Wilkin, who's gonna be here in February doing a women's event, teachers like Matt Chandler, they're involved with this program, but it teaches kids about wisdom and about parables using these animals Uh, and so so it's called allegory so it's something you can there's a website for allegories but if you want to get a subscription to right now media we can help you get set up with that and you can use that it's just fun to see how the book of proverbs uses animals and and uses uh, creation to teach lessons so here we have the sloth and and if you've seen zootopia it's funny that verse five mentions a gazelle Uh, so you've got the gazelle and you've got the sloth, and now you have the ant. What do we learn about the ant? Here's four characterizations of the ant. First, the ant is female. Think of Proverbs 31. Think of what you learn in Proverbs 31 that connects with what you see here in Proverbs chapter 6. So the first thing we learn about is, is the ant is female. Second, it doesn't mean that all ants are female. It just means in the wisdom literature, the ant is portrayed as, as female. Second, the ant doesn't need someone to tell her what to do. She takes initiative. And don't we love people who take initiative? <laughs> you see someone, they see a problem, they just deal with it. They just handle it. And you're like, oh, thank you for handling that. And, didn't ha- no one need to tell you what to do. You just do it. You took initiative. Third, the ant prepares. The ant works ahead of time, plans ahead. Fourth, the ant gathers, so she finishes what she starts. It's just an image here that's exactly opposite of what we saw at the beginning, what we saw at the beginning of chapter 6. Then you go on in chapter 6 to verse 9. So, the, how long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. The sluggard, the characteristic of the sluggard is defined by this idea of sleep. The interesting thing about sleep is that we saw sleep show up in verse 4. Where in verse four it said, give your eyes no sleep and your eyelids no slumber. Now here in verse nine, it comes back around. It says, how long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? Sleep here is the idea of laziness. It's the idea of negligence. Proverbs is not saying that sleep is a bad thing. It's saying sleeping when you shouldn't be sleeping is a bad thing. Get up, get to work, and when it's time to go to sleep, you can go to sleep. What are the characteristics of the sluggard? One well, in your notes there, you see there's three characteristics of the sluggard. The first is the sluggard always wants just a little more. Now, you see the relationship again with adultery and, and sexual unfaithfulness, this idea of just needing a little more, needing, needing something different. The sluggard always wants just a little more. It's no surprise that the snooze button on our phone or the snooze button on our alarm is not set for 45 minutes, It's like nine minutes, because nobody says, well, I was about to say nobody says, just give me 45 more minutes. That's actually what what you say, but you don't get to 45 minutes by saying, oh, I'm gonna sleep 45 more minutes. You get to 45 minutes by saying, oh, I just need five more minutes. Well, the problem with sleeping five more minutes is, then you need five more minutes after that, And and then you get up to 45 minutes. We always need a little more. The sluggard is lazy not to gain a little more, but to go a little longer without having to do anything. Like if I postpone this, if I just kick, it down, kick the can down the road a little bit longer, I don't have to deal with this situation and so it promotes laziness. The beauty of little children is that oftentimes sleep begets sleep. Good sleep leads to more good sleep. Bad sleep causes more bad sleep. The problem with older children is that sleep begets sleep. <laughs> Sleep leads to more sleep, which leads to more sleep. And the more you sleep, the more you realize, oh, man, I just can't get going. How do I get started? There's a time to sleep, and there's a time to work. The second characteristic of the sluggard is that the hands are folded. Now, this is an important point. You see there in verse 10, it says, "...a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest." Now, this is the second time in chapter 6 that the hands have gotten you into trouble. The first time is you shook hands and you got involved in a loan you shouldn't have been involved in. This time, the only person you have shook hands with is yourself. Because you folded your hands and said, I'm just going to stay right here. Folding of the hands is an image not only for laziness, but folding of the hands is an image for I don't care. It's an image of pride. It's an image of saying, I'm going to fold my hands. I'm going to stay right here, and I'm not going to move no matter which parent tells me to get out of bed. I'm not going to move no matter what that person says. I'm just going to fold my hands, be prideful, and stay right here. And it says a little folding of hands is always going to get you into trouble because you're just going to sit there and be negligent, be, be rebellious instead of getting to work. Third characteristic of of the uh, sluggard is poverty or, or want. It says there in verse 11, when you do these things, poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. Now here's a distinction that we have to hear really clearly. In Proverbs, laziness will make one poor, but that doesn't mean that the poor are lazy. So don't, don't miss that distinction. In Proverbs, laziness will make someone poor but that doesn't mean the poor are lazy sometimes we read verses like this and then we find ourselves looking down at someone who doesn't have a job or someone who is struggling financially and immediately we jump to the fact oh that person's being lazy we all know that economic realities that employment realities are way more complicated than that way more going on than that not only that but scripture over and over again tells us to care for the poor you see that modeled in the old testament prophets you see that modeled in the life of jesus you see that in the book of james over and over again so don't read this passage here and say well every poor person out there every person poorer than me must be lazy no no there's there's a lot more going on it does say that laziness will lead to poverty but it's not saying that the opposite is always true The main problem here, the main issue going on in chapter 6, is that laziness shows a lack of love for others. Laziness demonstrates a lack of care for those around you. Poverty right here comes from willful neglect. If you have poverty, you don't have enough, and not having enough means you don't have enough just for yourself. It's like you don't have anything to share with somebody else. So the problem with laziness here in Proverbs is not just that you don't have enough, it's that you don't have enough to share. You you don't care about those around you. The distinction that we're trying to make here is the person who is poor and humble, meaning they take full responsibility for their situation, they accept help with humility and grace, and they desire to do what they can. They want to be at work. There's a desire to be involved in the community, to be contributing what's going on, versus the person who's poor and prideful about it. It's everybody else's responsibility to help them. It's everybody else's responsibility to come around and take care of their situation. And it's not just that they don't have enough, it's that they're prideful in remaining in that situation. Now we realize That's a hard situation politically. That's a hard situation if you're involved in a business. Frankly, that's probably a hard situation with family members and friends at times is how do we assess, is it humility or is it pride? What's going on in this situation? But what I want you to hear and what all of this leads to is it doesn't matter if you're poor, or if you're the rich speculator at the beginning of chapter six. Whether we are poor or whether we are rich, we all need a savior. It doesn't matter if you're the speculator who comes along and controls everybody else's loans and gets involved in other situations, or if you're the sluggard, we all need a savior. Because this idea of work, this idea of being involved in what we're supposed to be involved in, comes back around to what is our relationship like with the Lord. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10 address this issue. What does it mean to understand work, to understand putting our faith in action in relation to knowing who God is? Ephesians 2 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. What I wouldn't want you to do is walk away this morning and think I'm supposed to be just like the ant, I'm supposed to pick myself up by my own bootstraps, I'm supposed to work harder, and then God will be satisfied with me. Yes, that's a good theory, but don't get those things out of order. Because the problem is saying, I can work my way into right relationship with God. If I just do more, then God will be impressed with me. We can't do that. Our salvation, very clearly in Ephesians 2, doesn't come by our works. But when we experience salvation, when we experience the rest that Christ brings, the result of that isn't laziness. The result of that is we get to work. So we are saved for works. We're not saved by works. And we're not saved from work, as if we're saved and we don't have anything to do. We're saved for works. So and we have to get those things in the right order to understand what this passage is saying. The next application that comes from understanding who Jesus is as Savior is that we will give ourselves to the right things. And here at the end, if I could just focus you on this point, because if you're anything like me, this is the point you need to hear. This is the one other than not being somebody else's savior. This is the one that hit me most deeply this week. Being able to give ourselves to the right things. Second Timothy, chapter two, verse four, says no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. This whole passage in in Proverbs 6 is about giving yourself to the right things. It's about giving your time, your energy, your effort to the right things. How many of you at work or how many of you in your family have gone through times in life that you felt so busy, you had so much going on, and then you looked back and thought, what exactly did I accomplish? I was so busy. I was overwhelmed. I was frenetic. I worked myself to the bone. I worked like an ant and I have nothing to show for it well a lot of times what it is is we're giving ourselves to the wrong things you can be busy you can be like an ant in so many areas of life and then we can be lazy in those areas that really matter so here's what this looks like you work yourself to the bone at work and you come home and you're lazy toward your family Or you work yourself like crazy to provide financially for your family, but you're lazy when it comes to being a spiritual provider for your family. Or you give yourself to everybody else, everybody else's situation you're getting tangled in, but you don't have anything left for the people who are closest to you. It's possible for an aunt to be very busy and working hard in one area and to be completely lazy and another area. I love this quote from Paul Coptic. He says, the irony of contemporary life is that we are lazy about a great number of things in the midst of frenetic activity or frantic activity. We're doing all these other things and we're missing the main thing. One of the greatest gifts of Christianity, one of the greatest gifts of salvation is that in being made right with God, we find rest. We find perfect, pure rest, because we are not having to achieve that salvation. We are not having to achieve that standing with God. And when you get to that point of rest, and you don't have anything to prove, and you don't have anyone to impress, what happens is you're set free to give your life to what really matters. So instead of running around trying to prove yourself to God, prove yourself to others, make yourself great, what you're do- what happens is you're set free just to do what God has put in front of you. You don't have to be somebody else's savior because you already know the greatest savior. And so your only job as a friend or a neighbor is to point that person to the savior, not to be their savior. The result of all of this, and here's the great irony of the gospel at this point, is when we give up trying to work for our salvation, and we just trust the Lord, and we experience his salvation, the result of that is we are able to do the things he's called us to do. We're able to be busy. We're able to not be lazy, but we give ourselves to the right thing. We begin to put our faith in action. Hustle is a good thing. We try hard as a church staff to kill the old stereotype about ministers being lazy. We want to hustle. We want to work hard, but we want to give ourselves to the right things. And I know you do as well. So I pray that whatever situation you're in, whether you need to get out of a bad financial situation or whether you need to get to work because you say, you know what, I've been a little lazy in certain areas lately, that no matter what your situation is, it would come because you've experienced the Savior, because you know what it is to be made right with God. We're going to sing a song here in just a minute called Trust and Obey. Trust in the Lord for salvation. Be active In obeying Him. Let's pray together and then we're going to come to the end of our service. Father, we thank You for this time this morning in worship. We thank You for these lessons from Proverbs. That we would not get entangled in a financial situation that we shouldn't be involved in. We wouldn't try to be someone else's Savior. That we would love, we would care, we would give to others in their times of need we would humbly accept those gifts when we need them ourselves, and God, that we would be like the ant, not the sloth, that we would be the ant who gives themselves to the right things, who's active in life, who takes initiative, who isn't known as someone who wastes life, who isn't known as someone who sleeps away life, but we're active. We get involved because we know what it is to experience salvation. We know what it is to trust, and as a result of that, we know what it is to obey. So, Father, work in our lives as we try to put this word into, into action. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.